Guten Morgen, Amerika. Wie geht's? Ja, das ist gut. Das, ja, wunderbar. Ja. Well, let's see what's going on with Midas Touch. Fucker Carlson got fired, but I just saw Don Lemon also got fired after 17 years. What the fuck? Alice from the Midas Touch Network, and this is a breaking news alert. Fox and Tucker ago. Carlson have parted ways. You heard that right. Tucker Carlson Why? will no longer be with Fox. This is an official statement that was released from Fox News Media. Let me read the statement. It has the headline, Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson part ways. New York, April 24th, 2023. Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have agreed to part ways. We thank him for his service to the network mm. as a host and prior to that as mm. a contributor. Mr. Carlson's last program was Friday, April 21st. Mm. Fox News Tonight will air live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time starting this evening as an interim show helmed by rotating Fox News personalities until a new host is named. Folks, that is an official press release from Fox News Media looking at the Fox Corp Class A stock price. As of the time of this recording, <laughs> it is down significantly, down 5% right mm -hmm. now. Um, and there was no indication of this, at least from Tucker Carlson, on his Friday show, which turned out to be uh, his last show on April 21st. The show ended with Tucker Carlson saying, we'll be back on Monday. Here, let's play this clip. We just thought, what a great way to end the week. Yeah. Truly, that was a great segment, and I'm just grateful that you came on, and I'm especially grateful for the pie. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Employee of the week, we're going to we're just make it of the year, Tyler Morrell of Coco's Pizza. That's it for us for the week. We'll be back. By the way, the entire episode of Let Them Eat Bugs, not quite as good as pizza, streaming now on Fox Station. Use the promo code ORIGINALS for 30 days free. And we'll be back on Monday. In the meantime, have the best weekend with the ones that you love, and we'll see you then. So a number of reactions are coming in. Megan Kelly, who used to be uh, uh, an anchor on Fox, she says, Good for Tucker. Trust me, he doesn't need them. That's Megyn Kelly's far-right extremist personality that she's playing and cosplaying right now as a uh, independent uh, right-wing extremist podcaster. Um, looking at some more comments, this is from Lauren Boebert, who goes, I stand with Tucker Carlson. I mean, how embarrassing and humiliating can you get? Um, everybody remember this as, as I reflect upon this moment. Uh, everybody remember Montana Man? When Montana Man confronted Tucker Carlson? Here I want to uh, play this clip that we posted back when it happened here on the Midas Touch Network. Play this clip. I don't care, man. Just kidding. You are the worst human being. You've known the man. I'm I want you to... To this state, to the United States, to everything else in this world, I don't care that you're not What you have done to people's families, what you have done to everybody else in this world, folks, you can't 
So, yes, folks, Tucker Carlson is no longer a host on Fox. It is official, confirmed by Fox's own media team in their uh, press release. Of course, this comes on the heels of the $787.5 million settlement that Fox entered with Dominion and Fox... Is definitely not out of hot water, even with that settlement. On April 11th, there was a shareholder lawsuit based on Fox spreading disinformation and the derivative class action specifically mentioned uh, Tucker Carlson and the other Fox hosts who have been spreading this disinformation knowingly, intentionally, willfully. Um, of course, there's the Smartmatic lawsuit where Smartmatic is suing for over $2 billion uh, on the heels of uh, the Fox settlement with Dominion. Smartmatic said that they wouldn't entertain a settlement anywhere near the range of Dominion's 787.5. They said that established a baseline for a resolution, but they would not take a settlement at that amount. Uh, they said... Let's not also forget that Tucker Carlson, in his private messages, and we could try to pull them up right here, I mean, he stated that he detested Donald Trump. He stated that his, he was so excited that after the uh, January 5th, January 6th time period, that he wouldn't even have to deal with Donald Trump anymore. And he was glad, you know, in these messages that, that Donald Trump was not going to be uh, in the office. And he talked about how he said this to Navarro. I mean, the bottom line is, is that Tucker Carlson and all of these kind of MAGA extremist hosts on Fox, they're all, they're all playing pretend Fucking to the MAGA base. Play. It's all a grift at the end of the day and uh, a costly grift. 787.5 Cosplay. Cosplay. Precious cosplay. Billion dollar settlement in the Dominion case. Billion dollars in other settlements that are likely to have to be paid out because they spread disinformation each and every Man. single night. But folks... To have Tucker removed from Fox is a good thing. Um, however, it doesn't dramatically change the landscape that they still have Laura Ingraham and Hannity and other hosts who are devoted to spreading disinformation. It doesn't mean that Tucker is not going to find another place somewhere. Their Fox so-called news should be shut down.
anchors and executives. Anchors and executives as co-conspirators in the January 6th insurrection. Can you awesome lawyers please put a cease and desist order on Fox calling itself news? Thanks, love you the best. whether it's with another right-wing extremist media network or, you know, whether he's going to enter a deal to have a podcast that spreads the disinformation. But even if he does that, you know, he's not going to have the kind of billion-dollar backing of somebody like Rupert Murdoch who's able to write these checks when Tucker spreads uh, that disinformation. But one other thing to note as well um, my sources told me that Tucker was in a contract year anyway and that he was, um, you know, months ago negotiating uh, a future agreement with Fox in any event. Um, and so a natural time to get rid of uh, Tucker w would make sense. But, of course, the Dominion uh, settlement had a role in that. And, look, Tucker's gone more and more and more extreme. Um, and he's turned Fox into just a complete and utter propaganda network. So we'll see if other steps are taken, if other people are going to be removed as well. But, folks, this is big breaking news. On Monday, Tucker Carlson no longer a Fox. So we're getting this just in as well. Cat Turd, Cat Turd, the big right-wing influencer, Cat Turd, has said the end deeper. of Fox News. That's from... Uh, that's from Cat Turd. Um, we're getting this in as well. Um, a post from Angelo Caruso writes, Note, Tucker was supposed to do a show tonight. He was set to interview Vivek Ramasamwe. Fox had been promoting it this, this a.m. So whatever happened, it was abrupt. My gut is Tucker didn't want to play ball in this delicate moment for Fox News, and it unraveled very fast, folks. That is uh, big, big news, big development there um, as well. And this is actually coming in from Fox. This is a news from Fox. As we are recording um, on the Fox Morning Show, they are saying that Tucker is gone. Here, play this clip. We have some news from within our Fox family. Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson have mutually agreed to part ways. Tucker's last show was this past Friday. And starting tonight, Fox News Tonight will air live at 8 p.m. Eastern. It will be an interim show with rotating Fox News personalities until a new host is named. We want to thank Tucker Carlson for his service to the network as a host and prior to that as a long-term contributor. Well, folks, there you have it. Big news to report that uh, it's all coming in as I was uh, recording this video. Um, we'll keep you posted as we learn more. Uh, I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers. It's free to subscribe to this YouTube.
What does that mean? Um. YouTube channel, help us grow to 1.5 million. Let's get a bigger platform than Fox so we could keep spreading democracy. Hit subscribe now, and wherever you get your audio podcast, search for the Midas Touch podcast and subscribe for free. Thanks so much. I'm Ben Micellis. Have a great day. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. We are on the eve of trial between E. Jean Carroll and Donald Trump. E. Jean Carroll has filed rape and defamation claims against Donald Trump. This is a civil case in federal court before Judge Lewis Kaplan. Trial set to start on April 25th, so trial will begin tomorrow as of the date of Six this hours recording. Ago. And Donald Trump's lawyer, Joe Takapina, continues to file these letter briefs with Judge Kaplan that are each just more disgusting and frivolous than the next. And Judge Kaplan, the federal judge presiding over this case, has repeatedly smacked down Takapina and in these very kind of tersely worded orders basically says, Takapina, you don't know what you're talking about. But I guess Takapina has been hired to just be Donald Trump's bull in the china shop and just continue to file motion after motion after motion um, despite the judge's continued orders rejecting these motions. You know, this most recent motion that was filed over this weekend was very disgusting. Um, And in this motion, it relates to one of the witnesses who will be allowed to testify at trial, Natasha Stoinoff. And Natasha Stoinoff is a, or at the time, uh, that's relevant to the case, was a People magazine reporter. And in 2005, she went to Mar-a-Lago to cover Donald Trump's lifestyle with his then-pregnant wife, Melania. Melania was seven months pregnant at the time, and uh, Stoinoff was doing a story about the pregnancy and Donald Trump and Melania's life together. At a certain point in 2005, while that interview was taking place, or shortly thereafter, Donald Trump had Stoinoff go into a room alone with him, and then Stoinoff alleges that Donald Trump lunged at her, tried to kiss her, and tried to grope her. Now, under the federal rules of evidence, um, somebody who engages in sexual assault um, uh, in a case involving that sexual assault, a victim, in this case E. Jean Carroll, could bring in other past incidents where an individual engaged in sexual assault of other individuals, in this case of other women like Natasha Stoinoff and others who Donald Trump sexually assaulted. Um, and Judge Lewis Kaplan under the rules of evidence, Rule 413 and Rule 415, made a finding 
that uh, the evidence that Donald Trump lunged at Stoinov, tried to kiss and grope her, would be relevant as part of Donald Trump's kind of pattern and practice of engaging in that type of behavior as it relates to E. Jean Carroll's civil rape claims against Donald Trump. So that ruling was already made many, many, many months ago when the parties filed what are called motions in limine to try to exclude evidence from entering at trial. Well, now on the eve of trial, Joe Takapina, Donald Trump's lawyer, is trying to argue that the judge should reconsider his order from a few months ago because Takapina tries to argue that a kiss and that groping is different than a sexual assault and therefore uh, it would confuse the jury if they were hearing about kissing and groping um, because that is different than the allegation of a rape. And I'm just going to read from you some portions of Takapina's letter to the judge so you can just see for yourself just how vile this is and, and frankly how vile Donald Trump is. And then I want to read from you the order that Judge Lewis Kaplan previously made so you can see how disingenuous um, and how frivolous this motion by Joe Takapina is. This is what the letter is. It's dated April 22nd, 2023. It says, Your Honor, we write on behalf of defendant Donald Trump to request clarification of your honor's March 10th, 2023 memorandum opinion on one issue relating to Natasha Stoinoff's testimony along with a proposed solution to an evidentiary issue. You will recall that Ms. Stoinoff testified in her deposition that defendant Donald Trump escorted her into a room and then grabbed her shoulders and pushed her against a wall and started kissing her. Then someone allegedly came into the room and the incident ceased. Defendant's motion in limine, Donald Trump's motion in limine, sought to exclude this testimony under Federal Rule of Evidence 413D. Your Honor denied our motion. However, we request clarification with a proposed solution. Let me just pause there. Judge Kaplan's order was very clear. It doesn't need clarification. Let me go on and continue reading the letter. Your Honor correctly observed that Trump, according to Ms. Stoinoff, did not touch Ms. Stoinoff's genitals. Also, Your Honor correctly observed that defendants merely kissing Ms. Stoinoff, according to Ms. Stoinoff, would not satisfy Rule 413D. In other words, it would not necessarily be a sexual assault. Your Honor did, however, note Ms. Stoinoff's testimony that defendant lied when he denied groping her, which perhaps implied that he did grope her. However, Your Honor correctly observed that the portion of Ms. Stoinoff's deposition testimony does not specify what part of her anatomy she claims Mr. Trump groped or attempted to grope. Your Honor then observed that if Ms. Stoinoff's account of the parts of her body that Mr. Trump allegedly touched were the only relevant evidence, it would be debatable whether that conduct alone would satisfy Rule 413D and 415. In other words, would that constitute a sexual assault? Your Honor then performed additional analysis of other evidence which might be suggestive of a plan by Defendant Donald Trump to go further towards touching Ms. Stoinoff's private parts and thus denied the motion in limine to exclude the testimony of Ms. Stoinoff. 
and then Donald Trump's lawyer writes, Takapina writes, upon further reflection, we believe that there exists a true threshold issue of exactly what parts of Ms. Stoinoff's body the defendant actually touched or attempted to touch, according to her. If defendant, according to Ms. Stoinoff, only touched her shoulders and kissed her and never touched or attempted to touch her genitals, then your honor's conclusion that such evidence is not enough for her testimony to be allowed should be conclusive. Because the second part of your honor's analysis, based on other evidence, seems grounded in the uncertainty of whether defendant Donald Trump actually, quote, groped Ms. Stoinoff, we propose that before Ms. Stoinoff is allowed to testify, that defendant's counsel ask her a few questions uh, outside of the presence of the jury. And there's more, but that's basically the same thing. So what they are alleging is that Donald Trump acting without the consent of Ms. Stoinoff, grabbed her, groped her, and then tried to kiss her, Donald Trump wants the judge to say, as a matter of law, that doesn't constitute sexual assault. I mean, just how disgusting of an argument is that to, to even make right there? But that's the letter that you're reading it for yourself that they're making to the judge. Let me just pull open, though, just so you can see it, what the judge's previous order was when the judge made a ruling that was, um, you know, to me, quite clear in this order after the motions, I think, were filed back in February. I think the, this order is from March 10th of 2023. And this is what the judge says about Natasha Stoinoff. Ms. Stoinoff, then a writer for People magazine, traveled to Mar-a-Lago, Mr. Trump's residence in Florida, to interview him and his wife, Melania. Mr. Trump offered to show Ms. Stoinoff a painting that he said was hanging in a certain room and took her there. As she began looking around, she heard him close the door behind her. Then she testified, quote, I turned around and he's right there and he grabs my shoulders and he pushes me against the wall and starts kissing me. Question, did he say anything before? Answer, not that I recall. Question, and what was going through your mind when Donald Trump did this? Answer, complete shock. Thank you. Complete shock because it was very fast. I was taken. I was taken by surprise. Question, and do you recall how you reacted? Answer, I do recall pushing him back twice. I recall trying to say something but not really being able to. I was so flustered. Question, when you pushed him back the first time, do you recall how Donald Trump reacted? Answer, yes. He just came toward me again. Question, and what about after the second time? Answer, he started coming toward me again, but then someone came into the room. Question, do you recall who came into the room? Answer, yes, it was the butler. Question, and did you see the butler have any reaction to what Mr. Trump was doing? Answer, yes, I did. Question, and how would you describe that? Well, all I know is that when I looked at his face, to me he had a look on his face like, thank God I got in here, like he's done this before, like he knew that he saw a shut door and he had to get in there. That's my perception of his. Then later in the deposition, she testified, question, is there a particular piece of the video that you're referring to? Answer, lying, this is a video of Donald Trump saying that, um, he never groped her and giving uh, press statements at his rallies saying that she's a liar. 
Answer. Lying about never groping or kissing women without their consent and how he had the utmost respect for women. Question. You consider what he did to you lying and groping women without their consent? Answer. I consider that he lied about kissing and groping me without consent. The court goes on to say, Ms. Stoinoff's deposition presents a different factual situation than Ms. Leeds. Nevertheless, the legal analysis is similar. Ms. Leeds was a woman who was on a flight with Donald Trump. Um, I think going back from Dallas, uh, or going to Dallas, but Dallas to New York, and Donald Trump um, tried to grab her genitals on the on the airplane, and she managed to get away. And Miss Leeds will be testifying at E. Jean Carroll's uh, case at all. The court goes on to then give the analysis where the court says, first, under Florida law, to establish an attempt to commit a specific intent crime, the state must prove a specific intent to commit the crime and an overt act toward the commission of the crime. It is a crime under Florida law to actually and intentionally to touch or strike another person against the will of the other. This clearly covers Mr. Trump's alleged kissing and groping of Ms. Stoinoff as Mr. Trump tacitly concedes. Rule 415, therefore, is satisfied if Mr. Trump's conduct included an overt act towards the commission of a state crime, two, taken for the purpose of committing a state crime involving content, contact without consent between any part of Mr. Trump's body and Ms. Stoinoff's genitals or anus. Second, in the alternative, Florida makes it a crime for a person 18 or older uh, to commit sexual battery upon a person 18 or older without their consent in the process does not use physical force or violence likely to cause serious personal injury. Florida law defines sexual battery as oral, anal, or female genital penetration by or union with a sexual organ of another or the anal or female genital penetration or another by any other object, and the definition makes no mention of intent at all. For a crime that does not have an intent requirement, attempt under Florida law requires the defendant to commit any act towards the commission of such a crime, but fails in the perpetration or is intercepted or prevented from the execution thereof. And the court just says, Ms. Stoinoff described Mr. Trump kissing her without her consent and against her will. That alone would not satisfy any part of Rule 413D, but Ms. Stoinoff, however, testified also that Mr. Trump was lying when he denied groping her without her consent. In other words, that he groped her. The word groped in the context of human contact means to touch or fondle a person or part of the body clumsily or forcibly for one's sexual gratification. And while groping anyone without consent is sexual misconduct, and colloquially what might be referred to as sexual assault, Rule 413 is not that broad. And then the court goes on to say it defines sexual assault as unwanted contact or attempted unwanted contact only with particular parts of the anatomy. The portion of Ms. Stoinoff's deposition now before the court does not specify what part of her anatomy she claims that Mr. Trump groped or attempted to grope. And in Ms. Stoinoff's account of the parts of her body that Mr. Trump allegedly touched were the only relevant evidence, it would be debatable whether 
the contact, the conduct alone, would satisfy the rules. As an initial matter, the circumstances of the alleged encounter are relevant. Mr. Trump, she says, invited Ms. Stoinoff, who was at Mar-a-Lago, to interview Mr. Trump and his wife to an unoccupied room and closed the door behind her actions indicative of a desire for privacy. She went on to say that he immediately, and without her consent, began kissing her and pressed on as she resisted his advances. These actions are suggestive of a plan formed before Mr. Trump invited Ms. Stoinoff to the unoccupied room and closed the door behind her to take advantage of that privacy and to do so without regard to Ms. Stoinoff's wishes. Moreover, the Access Hollywood tape and the testimony of Ms. Leeds are additional actual evidence that a jury would be entitled to consider in deciding whether to infer that the ultimate goal of Mr. Trump's alleged actions with Ms. Stoinoff was to bring his hands or other parts of his anatomy into contact with Ms. Stoinoff's most private parts. So what the judge is saying is, although Donald Trump has not committed the act or completed the commission, his intent of what he was going to do can be inferred from the circumstances at issue, as well as from the Access Hollywood tape where he bragged about kissing and sexually assaulting women, and from the other sexual assaults that he uh, engaged in. So for the judge, the circumstantial evidence makes it clear the judge really wasn't confused about the answer. The judge said the circumstances made it clear. So I think ultimately the judge is going to deny this request by Takapina. But like, I don't want to lose sight with all of the legalese here that we're talking about somebody in Donald Trump who is the leader of the modern day Republican Party. Right. This is the individual who Republicans want to give the nuclear codes back to. This is the person who the Republicans want to make decisions over your family, your health, our nation, the world. You know, And you have his lawyer arguing that merely, this is Donald Trump's lawyer arguing, that merely groping, grabbing, because Trump never finalized the rape and never actually made contact, with Stoinoff's genitals, that therefore she should not be considered a victim of an attempted sexual assault. Like, setting aside what the judge rules, like, let's be very clear what even Trump's argument is, how despicable that is, which should just be completely and utterly disqualifying from any job, yet Republicans want to give him the most important one? Are you kidding me? And by the way, there's multiple reporting um, by uh, CBS and others in the past that there were like six friends and colleagues of Stoinov corroborated her account. She told people at the time in 2005 was afraid to come forward with it because she believed that she'd be destroyed and her career would end. But she had told about six people contemporaneously. Um, look, folks, this case is going to trial. We'll keep you updated on what the results are, but just another disgusting motion by Donald Trump's lawyers. I'm Ben Micellis. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers thanks to your incredible support. Hit subscribe. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Become a member there. P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. And also, wherever you get your audio podcast, subscribe to the Midas Touch podcast. All right. Thanks for watching. Hit subscribe on our YouTube channel.
Lock him up. Indictment season is upon us. Celebrate with the new indictment season t-shirt and v-neck exclusively at store.midastouch.com. Um, the hearing took place. It lasted a full day. It was streamed. There is now post-trial briefing that's going to take place next week. And then the judge is going to read those briefs and then make the recommendation. And ultimately, Raffensperger can accept or reject the recommendation to disqualify Marjorie Taylor Greene. So that's the framework. Popak, you want to go into what you yeah. saw at the hearing? Yeah. Yeah, and I'll do a little bit more on the framework. So the different states do different things. And if you're in Pennsylvania, that kind of challenge doesn't go to the Office of Administrative Hearings in Pennsylvania. For instance, it goes to the Board of elect, elector, Election, and the Board of Election convenes, for instance, there and in other states, a hearing and does the hearing. Georgia, basically, anytime there needs to be an evidentiary uh, a process, an evidentiary hearing where evidence is presented, witness testimony, testimony is presented concerning any level of administration or any level of agency decision-making in the state of Georgia, they've, they've put it all under the Office of Administrative Hearings. They call it OATH. And so there's a judge, and that judge normally hears things like, oh, you lost your dog license? Oh, you, you, you can't be a barber or a cosmetologist anymore? Okay, let's, but let me hear from you, and let me hear, oh, your fire alarm went off too many times, and you're getting fined for that? Okay, let's, and that's a 20-minute thing. And then the, they make either a recommendation, or they actually sometimes have the power uh, to make a ruling in the election law area. The administrative law judge does the evidentiary hearing, developing the evidence, makes a report and recommendation to, in this case, the Secretary of State for the final decision. So, in fact, the judge, Boudreaux, and I'll talk about him in a minute, a number of times he reminded the participants, both lawyers and other people that were in the gallery, any of whom who started to applaud when Marjorie Taylor Greene came in. So the room was packed with her supporters, including Matt Gates for some reason, who decided that he should sit at council table because because that's a good thing to have Matt Gates on your side. He, you know, soon to be going to jail for child uh, endangerment and child prostitution trafficking. But in any event, that's that he kept reminding, Judge Boudreaux kept reminding people, this is not the Supreme Court and you're making oral argument there. I am here on an evidentiary hearing. Stop with all the objections. Let's get the evidence out so I can make my report and recommendation. And he was pretty even-handed on that. All right, here's his background. I looked at him, I looked him up on LinkedIn. He says, first thing about himself, he's a musician and a composer. He went to Harvard. He went to Duke uh, undergrad. And for 38 years, he's been a tax lawyer until he retired recently. So this is, you know, First Amendment versus election law, the 14th Amendment. This is not this guy's gig. He, he's a smart guy. I mean, I'm not a 38-year tax lawyer. He's not an idiot, especially given his credentials. But this is not what he's been trained for. He'll do the best he can possibly do. Now, I want to talk about the two lawyers that were on either side. I know one of them by one degree of separation, and then we'll talk about the other one. So Andrew Chelly, who has a very successful firm here in New York, 
I know through a mutual contact. He used to work for a former governor in New York as the chief of the civil rights division when that governor was attorney general, when he was Tish James. And so that's where Andrew Chelly got his start. Uh, he's about my peer. I think we're one year off in law school graduation. And his firm is dedicated in New York to civil rights law, First Amendment law. It's very similar to what you and I do. Um, he's represented the Tribune Company. He's done voting rights cases and all of that. He's on behalf of the organization, the, the group of people that are challenging her eligibility or her disability to be on the ballot. On the other side is James Bopp, B-O-P-P. We've talked about his cases before because he has represented Madison Cawthorn. He's represented, he's filed briefs against abortion rights. Um, he's a former uh, district, uh, district attorney general or a deputy attorney general for the state of Indiana. He's a big member of the Federalist Society. And the only cases that his law firm take are on the right, right wing of the party in supporting everything that we've talked about. SB8, he's in favor of SB8. Dobbs, he's, he's, he sends an amicus brief in. So he represents all these people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And in fact, at one point in the proceeding, he wouldn't let her answer a question because he's been involved with President Trump and the exercise of executive privilege. When they asked her, did you talk to the president about him imposing martial law after the insurrection? And she responded, I don't recall. As if, and this is, I saw a tweet of yours, Ben, as if that's such a, such a commonplace thing that, that the president talking to you about martial law, you may forget that within the last year, like you forgot what you had for breakfast last Tuesday. Uh, totally not credible as an advocate. And, and the things that she said that she did not recall, despite having the tweet, the video, the interview presented to her by Chelly, who was cross-examining her, is mind-boggling. Uh, the you know, we're, did did you did you say, did you like the tweet about the way to take out Nancy Pelosi once and for all is to put a bullet in her head? Oh, I don't run my social media. I don't really don't know. I don't really know who did that. Did you once say that the FBI was involved with a false flag event and they were involved with with staging the insurrection? Oh, I don't recall saying that. And of course, they play the tweet or the video where she said that. Did you once say it was a false flag event and it was Antifa or Black Lives Matter that were staging the insurrection and not actually who it was? Um, I don't know. I might have said that. And then she brings up her QAnon theories about, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa, all in the same thing. So she spent an incredible amount of her three hours of testimony denying that she knew anything even in the face of these things. Now, for those that were questioning this on your, on, your, on your Twitter feed or on your YouTube feed, perjury, what about perjury? Yes, Georgia has on its books, on its penal code, a perjury statute, which is at 16-10-70, which says that if you're in a judicial proceeding and you do not tell the truth about a material issue that is the point of the question, then you can go to jail for between one and 10 years. But that has to be a referral that's going to have to be made off of maybe the administrative law judge to the prosecutors to prosecute the crime of perjury if they can prove if they can prove perjury. I'm not sure this judge is going to find that. Now, I do think that when the briefing happens next week, the post-hearing briefing, I think it's on Thursday, and this judge ultimately makes a ruling relatively quickly because the absentee ballots for May are going out with her name on it. He, can he comment? on the testimonial evidence 
and the credibility of of the witness? Absolutely. I mean, judges do it all the time. I did not believe the veracity of the witness who had taken the stand in their own defense. They say that all the time. Is this, you know, sort of Matlock, Southern, you know, federal, you know, uh, tax lawyer, retiree, musician? Is he going to go out on a limb and say that? I want I, I to manage expectations. I don't think so. What do you think, Ben? I don't think he's going to find her uh, uh, perjury. I don't think he's going to find her in contempt. I don't think he's going to disqualify her. I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news because I'll tell you where I genuinely think there's good news um, for democracy. I think there's great news for democracy in what's going to happen in June with the January 6th committee with 850 witnesses that they've interviewed and that they have the goods. I think what we're seeing, you mentioned federal prosecutor Winman from uh, Maryland and the increasing efforts by the DOJ to rise, uh, to increase to the top of the food chain of who is involved in the insurrection. I think one of the issues when you have these quasi-judicial proceedings like Marjorie Taylor Greene that don't involve the same level of why is discovery important? in a case, why do we have subpoena power? Why do we have these authorities? Is because when you were questioning Marjorie Taylor Greene, all you were, all they basically had were her public statements, her tweets. And while she showed that she's a liar, while she showed she's evasive, while she repeated the conspiracy type things over and over again, and what she didn't recall is completely preposterous. And you can make a big issue out of it as a cross-examiner. Wait a minute, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Are you telling me here that this was, just to be clear, this was your first term as a member of Congress. Isn't that correct? And you had a conversation with the president. Um, is that a big deal for you to have a conversation with the president? And you can't recall one way or another if you spoke about declaring martial law. You don't remember that. That's not a big deal to you, Miss Green. That's just something that, you know, you, you would forget. That's something. And jurors, triers of fact, listen to that. And as you said, Popak, you would say that's impractical. That's incredible. We don't believe that. That witness has no credibility. I've interviewed individuals. I won't get into the nitty gritty of the cases because I represent plaintiffs against defendants in some really horrific, disgusting cases where I'll put on a witness, I'll put on the defendant, and they'll say, I don't remember it. And I'll say, so did it happen more than once? I don't remember. Did it happen more than five times? I don't remember. Could it have happened more than five times? I don't remember. Could it happen a hundred times? I don't remember. Could it happen 500 times? And then I'll get with them. Could it happen a thousand times, a million times? I go, so as you're sitting here today, you don't remember if you engaged in that act one time or one million times, you know, and you play that out and you look at the judge, you look at the jury and that doesn't, that's not a logical explanation. Sometimes you have to prove cases just on that theory. So why don't I think, though, I listen to all of the evidence that came out. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene is absolutely an insurrectionist. Okay, I do. <laughs> I do. And do I think that she wanted for that conduct to occur? Do I think all of her pre-conduct, all of her ginning up her base, did I think that did it? Yes. But in my, in my view... I think you have to be 
like criminally convicted of the statute. I think you have to have, I think you have to have either the DOJ convict. You have to have, and you know, you have to have some finding, whether it's by Congress, you know, because again, where I get worried in this area is that, and I shouldn't be worried about it's the way it shouldn't be, but we know that the Republicans operate in bad faith. What I worry is that it will just open up the floodgates where you're just going to have every member of Congress in the future will be challenged because if they make a statement or if they say something, the Republicans are going to make them sit in a hearing. And then you're going to get in front of a judge, an administrative judge, who is more like a uh, Ali Alexander, you know, who, who may disqualify, you know, you know, candidates. And they're not equal. Like Marjorie Taylor Greene's conduct clearly is antithetical to our constitution versus what they accuse people on the other side of. I just worry that the process itself is with limited discovery doesn't achieve the ultimate outcome. And I know people may not like me to hear that. I I, I love the I love the idea of cross-examining Marjorie Taylor Greene. I love the idea of holding them accountable. You know, I I, I just I wonder. I, I have that concern, Popeye. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree with you. Let, let me put it. Let me put it another way. It is important to hold hold people accountable and call out their bullshit. And when they participate in insurrections, to put them on trial for it, one way or the other. So, do I think the plaintiffs' groups and the and the Chelys of the world that are bringing these cases are doing? God's work, I do. It's important to have put her through that process. Do I think this is the actual process where she's going to be declared an insurrectionist under under Article 14, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution in the the back of the DMV? I do not. Now, Congress can censure her. I can't even remember right now. Was she censured by, by Congress for any of this? I don't think so. I think a lot of this, I don't, was she been? I think she was previously censured by Congress, and then they removed her from the Education Committee. On the committee, but not, but, right. not I don't, but I don't think related to the insurrection. Right. So she wasn't even censured by her own political body because they don't have the balls to do that. Let alone prosecuted yet for insurrection. And then you've got that that interesting issue, that academic issue you and I have debated, not debated because we're on the same side, about there's not one person who's been charged with the crime, and it is a crime, of insurrection. Seditious conspiracy, yes. Obstruction, yes. So it, it, it but, but to your point and to the point I'm making, continue to hold their feet to the fire. Take the Mo Brooks, take the Gosars, take the Marjorie Taylor Greens, and go through the processes to have them denied their right to be on the ballot. Even if it now it'll have one or two effects. It'll either make them chaste and make them not participate in the next insurrection, we hope, or it's just another fundraising drive for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, and then the other reality, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, is that even if Marjorie Taylor Greene came off the ballot in the Northern District of Georgia, we're not turning that corner that Trump won by 32 points into a blue district in our favor in Georgia. So, yes, we all don't like she's 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 the congressperson we love to hate. OK, because she's so blatantly and acutely 
um, everything that we think is wrong with the Republican Party and the QAnon fueled Republican Party. But she'll just re- she'll just be replaced. It'll be next man up with another person. The per- the, the challenger, the Democratic challenger, has zero chance of winning in that district. Well, I, I wouldn't say a zero chance, but I would say that it is a significant uphill fight. And Marcus Flowers is actually a good candidate. He's raised a lot of money. The area, though, is an area that elected Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so how do you defeat where there's a great deal of support for that version of QAnonism? It is it is a real, real problem that exists there. And then you have the issue of if the judge makes a disqualification referral, and then that goes to Brad Raffensperger, even though Brad Raffensperger was targeted by Trump and extorted by Trump, and Raffensperger probably does not think highly of Marjorie Taylor Greene, would be putting it lightly, you know, does Raffensperger say that I think that this was the process for disqualifying or do I think the process was if Congress wants to do it, if DOJ wants to do it, if um, she's criminally prosecuted in the state for insurrection, it's a criminal processy that she's, you know, found to be an insurrectionist by a jury. And then the jury's finding then has effect under the Constitution as it. But I'm with you, Popak. we got to hold these people accountable. I do applaud the lawyers for holding her accountable. But I do think it's it's a very, very, very uphill battle. She's not going to be found guilty of perjury. She just isn't. So I want people to know that that's not going to happen. Um, and when she's saying, I don't recall, I don't remember, that happens every day in court with witnesses who are being accused of things. And you as a skilled lawyer have to make it clear that that witness doesn't have credibility. It's a jury instruction, the witness's credibility, what they remember and what they don't remember. You can do things like the lawyers were doing there, refreshing the recollection with the document. Is this what you said? Impeaching the witness by showing that the witness said that. Oh, you don't remember? Put up Exhibit 3, put up Exhibit 7, put up Exhibit 15. You did say that, correct? That's what you said. Um, But you can't force the witness to say, oh, now I remember. They can just say, I don't remember. And then you show the documents and you leave it to the person who's making a ruling to say, well, that person's a liar. I don't, I don't believe them. But that's the overall kind of summary there of what happened in the Marjorie Taylor Greene case. And I do want to leave on this positive note, like, here's what's going to happen. Like, I think that these hearings the Jan 6th hearings in June are going to be among the most impactful, meaningful, historical, game-changing events that, you know, it's almost like if you think of an international perspective, no one, no one realized the courage and strength of Ukraine. And then once you saw Zelensky in action, and once you kind of saw it, it was a game changer of kind of a, a of a framework. And even you saw Tucker Carlson, you saw Fox News trying to spin it, trying to downplay Zelensky, trying to prop up Putin, but you couldn't. The facts were a tsunami. It was overwhelming. That's what we're going to see in June with the Jan 6th committee. These facts are going to be overwhelming. There's going to be public hearings. There's going to be the release of the findings. Every single day, that's going to be the focus. And people are going to leave with the 
only conclusion that could be drawn is that Trump is guilty. Trump's inner circle is guilty. And that's going to be important for the election, but it's going to be more important for the democracy, for the safety and safeguarding of our democracy, the work that Jan 6 can well, let me make two. Let me make two quick observations. One historical. I was nine during the Watergate hearings. Nine. I still remember them. Okay, so if I remember the Watergate hearings as a as a tiny Popakian, a tiny nine year old, can you imagine what this is going to do to a generation at every age level about our democracy? And I think that was a teaser from from Jamie Raskin about about what's going to be presented. But we know from having watched the impeachment hearings by many of the same people here that there are deniers out there within that party that are going to say this is political show theater, political show trial, that none of this is true. How they're going to deny 800. It's hard to believe there are 800 people that had personal knowledge of the assault on the Capitol on the attempt at a violent overthrow and an inside coup. It's hard to believe that there's that many people that have that knowledge. And and one last thing in the presentation, because I want people to, I want to, I want to, um, start coaching them about frustration levels. There's going to be a certain group that's never going to crack directly around Trump, even when you hear Ivanka's testifying or this one's or Jared went in or this or that. They don't need, and we don't need, as if we were the prosecutors or, we were, or defense lawyers, we don't need every bit of evidence in order to reach logical conclusions and make a, and make a case. There are times when circumstantial evidence, when inference when you, you get to the one yard line or one inch yard line of the of the football field, but you don't have that last piece to punch it in, but you know it's going to happen next. And that's OK. It's OK that Trump will never testify to the Jan 6 committee. It's OK that Meadows will never testify. It's OK that all of these people will take the Fifth Amendment. They have enough visual evidence, documentary evidence, recordings, um, text messages, uh, you know, emails, and then the testimony of 800 people to tell a, an effective, truthful story, a real truth that others can deny, but it doesn't change the fact that it happened. And I think, I think you and I, are, there's things that we don't even know yet. And I'm hoping the Department of Justice knows that we're going to hear for the first time in June. Have you checked out store.midastouch.com to get all of your Midas merch, to get all your Legal AF merch? We've got great gifts for Mother's Day. we got great gifts for any day. Go to store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com to get all of the merch. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this edition of Legal AF. It is always a pleasure and an honor to be joined by my co-host, Michael Popak, delivering the most consequential legal issues of the week to you all. We're so grateful for you, our Legal AF supporters, our Legal AF students, our Legal AF friends. We'll see you next time on Legal AF. Shout out to the Midas Midas.